Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Ned Lamont is still optimistic he can turn Connecticut around. Two and a half months since he was elected the state's 89th governor. We can take this fiscal challenge, turn it on its head, and use it as a wake-up call to jumpstart our economy, an economy that works for everyone. But how do state residents feel about the governor now, after he delivered his first budget proposal? The income tax isn't going up, and technically the sales tax isn't going up either. Rather, Lamont proposes rolling back exemptions on many goods and services we pay for each day. From haircuts to digital downloads, Lamont's administration is hoping to collect a billion dollars in new revenue. That includes paying extra for using plastic bags or buying liquor or cigarette products. According to Lamont, all of these things added together will help address some more than $3 billion deficit over the next two years. But will this tactic win points for the new governor? We want to hear from you today. You can join us, 860-275-7266, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Now, coming up, we'll hear from people who represent labor and Connecticut cities and towns. We'll ask them about the other ideas that Lamont is floating to tackle long-standing pension and health care liabilities. But first, I want to welcome back a guy you can trust. Without him, would we really understand the behind-the-scenes action at the State Capitol? Keith Faniff is State Budget Reporter for the Connecticut Mirror. You can follow him at CT Mirror Keith on Twitter. Keith, welcome to our show. Thanks. It's a pleasure. So how unusual is this budget? Very. Uh, this is, um, you could almost argue it's unprecedented. We are trying in this budget as a state to deal with a 70 to 80-year-old problem once and for all. And that's that's not easy. Now, every time you come on, uh, you mention this big problem. So give us the context again. Uh, What happened in the 70-year period that has led us to this huge mess that we're in now? I honestly, and isn't this a little, sorry, isn't this a little sad? I actually practice different ways to say this briefer and briefer. Never get there, but I try. Um, If you really have to boil it down, Connecticut left billions of dollars of free money on the table. We said, thank you, but no thank you. We don't need that money. How did we do it? Well, from 1939 to 2010, when we were promising pensions to state employees and to municipal teachers, we contributed some money for for that expense. We had the employees contribute some money, and we're supposed to get the rest by investing those first two pots. But we kept shortchanging our own contributions. And when you shortchange those, you don't make as much in your investments. You have, to in, you have to deposit the money to then invest it. Over time, the pain of compound interest is massive. That problem that we're inheriting is relatively, you can't be relatively unique, but it's rare in this country. Very few states are dealing with the problem anywhere close to ours. Governor Lamont is trying to produce a budget that effectively, I won't say solves it in the sense of there's no pain, because there'll be pain for a long time, but stabilizes it so we know exactly how much pain and when for probably the next 20 to 50 years. Uh, When you said earlier that this is an unusual budget, um, how different is uh, what he's proposing, uh, what we heard from former Governor Malloy in the the later years of his term? Governor Malloy in his first term, like like in fairness, most governors across the country – 
perhaps underestimated somewhat the pain of the last recession. We thought the recovery would be quicker. We thought the pain wouldn't be quite so severe. And Governor Malloy thought that uh, a significant tax increase coupled with major labor concessions, coupled with a lot more spending cuts than people gave him credit for, would be enough to really start solve the problem. And, and, it, and it, it just it simply wasn't. And again, that was a that was an, a problem that most states dealt with. They didn't estimate how severe and they, the, the recession was. Um, what differs this time around is not only is Governor Lamont trying to say, how can we stabilize this once and for all, but how can we do it without raising the income tax? Um, I'm skeptical we'll ever get over the next, forget 20 years, even five years without raising the income tax because I think the next recession is going to cause that problem. But that's what he's attempting right now. Can we stabilize our finances once and for all and do it without raising the income tax? That is a very delicate, very difficult challenge with little margin for error. So when an ordinary citizen uh, sees this uh, budget proposal or heard the speech yesterday, uh, not a lot uh, to like about it when you think about, so we're not going to raise the sales tax rate or we're not going to raise the income tax according to Lamont, but we're going to expand all of the things uh, that we are taxed on when right. we buy goods or services. So can you explain uh, sure. that that strategy? Absolutely. And let, let's be clear, clear on that because the way I would define a tax increase, the way I think most people would define a tax increase is if you change a policy and it makes me pay more, that would be a tax increase. Uh, let's be really clear. There is no income tax increase in this budget in any shape or form. We're not raising the rates. We're not to if, if anything, there will be some small income tax cuts as certain, uh, certain credits come back online. Um, the sales tax is different. We don't raise the sales tax rate for the, for the most part, but what we're doing is Tons of exemptions, tons of things that you never paid sales tax on before, you do now. That's where the money starts coming in. We're talking about close to $300 million in the upcoming fiscal year. Um, by the year after that, it'll be half a billion dollars. So, I mean, it's still coming out of consumers' pockets. But again, the trade-off is not just your income tax doesn't go up, but this deficit, that th this legacy of debt that very few people have been honest about, have been candid about. The goal is to see if we can stabilize it. We have Keith Faneth in studio with us, state budget reporter for the Connecticut Mirror. As we look at Governor Lamont's budget proposal, you can join our conversation, 860-275-7266. We're getting a tweet from Ann uh, Keith, uh, who writes, taxes on legal services should be a no-go. They're not optional in many cases, like interior design services. Don't tax to get a lawyer to recover medical costs or a defense lawyer, if innocent. Taxes on legal fees could be financial assault on the already victimized. So just one of many arguments legislators are going to be hearing from their right. constituents about why tax my service or why tax this, tax this particular good. Plus, the sales tax is seen as the most regressive. Right. And that's that's a very good point. I guess I should start, though, by clarifying one thing. And this isn't taking a side. This is mathematics. OK. Taxes in some form are going to go up as sure as we're sitting here because our debt costs as a state, which were like 20 years ago, were 10 percent of the budget are now consuming almost one-third of the budget and give ourselves another five to ten years. And this sounds crazy, but they could be close to half of the budget. I, I like to use a scenario of imagine you have crabgrass in a nice rectangular backyard, and wherever this crabgrass 
you can't put anything in the backyard. You have a backyard filled with all the things you like, you know, a picnic table that represents school spending and a gazebo that represents roads. And as the crabgrass grows and spreads over the yard, you have to keep throwing things over the fence because it's like, well, we can't put that there. That's what our debt costs are. They're crabgrass that are pushing everything else out of the budget. The only way you can, because you can't negotiate with the crabgrass, it demands its share. You can raise taxes, and that makes your yard a little bigger. I'm sorry for that pained analogy. So the real debate is what type of tax increases. But the, the math is demanding them. The bill collector is demanding money. If we don't raise the sales tax, we are raising the income tax. And, and Lucy, I know we talked about this. There are many progressives in the legislature yes. who say that is what we should be doing, that when you're in a crisis situation, and it sounds weird to say the richest state or one of the richest states in the nation's in a crisis, but we are. Many people are saying, this is when the wealthy should be paying more. This is when major corporations should be paying more. I wanted to take a phone call now. Uh, Kurt's calling from North Haven. Kurt, go ahead. Yeah, so I'm wondering. I, I, I actually believe we probably do need to increase taxes, but I don't trust the government to spend it well. It seems that we're continuing to add to this debt. You know, our uh, state employees and teachers don't participate in Social Security. Why should I, as a taxpayer, trust the government uh, to, to, to try to fix debt if they're going to continue to add to the problem by uh, uh, hiring new employees with this crazy pension system that we have. So, Kurt, you see the, the General Assembly should be able to cut spending more before you see your taxes go up? Sure. I mean, I think, I mean, it, when it comes to pensions, you know, if, you know, other, other states where, uh, you know, we at least have, uh, where people have 401ks and they pay Social Security, uh, you know, we're not re relying on the legislator to put the money away. We're, re we're relying on that to be, you know, done as you go. It's clear. I mean, isn't insanity, uh, you know, hitting your head against the wall, expecting something to change when it's the same thing over and over and over again? It is, Kurt. The uh, Kurt, you know what the problem is? <clears throat> We've already spent the money. It's just the no, bills. Oh, hear me out. It's yeah, just the. No, you don't. No, no disrespect. You don't. Bear with me. It's just the bills that are still coming in. We've actually cut state employee workforce, the executive branch, by 10% over the last eight years. The problem is every year analysts come in and say, you know the money we have to pay for the pensions for the people who worked for your parents and grandparents. You have to come up with another $100 million for that because our parents and grandparents didn't save. Another $200 million. Yes, spending keeps going up. But it's, it's services we already used. They're just mailing us the bill, and nobody wants to be honest with you. But the bills will keep coming in in larger quantities unless, unless we make some new arrangement for probably the next 15 years. So the question then becomes, what do we want to do about it? Uh, we heard uh, Governor Lamont uh, joke around about the haircut lobby, uh, so to speak, just one of many different services that we could be paying uh, sales tax on, depending on what happens with budget negotiations. But at the same time, Keith, you know uh, the narrative that we hear out both at the Capitol from listeners. Uh, people feel like Connecticut just keeps getting more and more expensive. People on fixed incomes, they can't afford all this extra right. tax. So it what's the solution? Getting, it is getting more expensive because we lived beyond our means. One of the solutions the governor's proposed, and it is controversial, is we're actually saying, should a future generation of taxpayers pick up some of these costs? But the catch is, when you pass costs on to a future generation, they increase. There's interest. 
We did some of that in 2017. Governor Malloy went to the unions and said, some of the pension contributions we're supposed to pay over the next decade, can we scale them back? And we'll make them up after 2032, plus interest. That interest is about $17 billion extra that goes on to the taxpayer's bill between 2033 and 2046. Governor Lamont wants to do more of that, both with the state employee's pension and with the teacher's pension. It is, it is a very tricky science because we are saying basically to our kids and our grandkids, can you help dad and granddad out? Um, in fairness, that's what the previous generations did to us without really even asking. Um, but that's what Governor Lamont is talking about. Uh, coming up, we're going to talk to uh, the groups that represent both uh, cities and towns in the state of Connecticut about how some reduced borrowing, this debt diet that uh, Governor Lamont has suggested, how that will impact uh, uh, municipalities. But I want to take uh, one more call before we head to break. Alan from Farmington, go ahead. Hello. Go ahead. Uh, I'm wondering if the state's retired workers, present and future, can possibly receive everything they've been promised. I, I, I'm, do you mean can, is the state able to pay it? I'm sorry, I'm not. I'm not sure well, I understand your question. Well, it, will there ever be enough money? Oh, I see what you mean. To pay the retired, future, and present retired state employees everything that they have been promised. Okay. I, I, and I understand the question now. I'm sorry. I just wasn't sure what you meant. And I'm going to, unfortunately, Lucy, probably infuriate part of your audience, but I'll just say this. Um, we can't go to court, despite what people say, Connecticut can't pay this bill. No, we could pay it. The question is how we pay it could really affect us as a state. They say nationally, the top 1% in terms of income in this country make 25 times what the bottom 99% average. In Connecticut, the ratio is 43 to 1. In Fairfield County, it's 74 to 1. If we were to ever go to court and say, well, we can't pay this bill, it'd be like walking in wearing 17 tiaras saying, Your Honor, you know, we really like having 17. Um, would, if we pay the bill right now as it's coming in, just keep raising taxes, of course it will affect us as a state. We may not be the wealthiest state in the nation. We probably won't be at the end of the day if we just pay it all out. But I don't think we have a God-given right to say we're always going to be more affluent than Michigan. We're certainly not Arkansas or Puerto Rico. And the rest of the country is not going to feel sorry for us. I, I'm not trying to be so flip, but it, we are going to have to go through some pain. There is no good root canal. Um, and it, the, the question is simply, what's the best way to do it over the next 10 or 15 years? We talked about sales tax expansion. There's also uh, sin taxes, uh, uh, you know, extra fees now if you want to use or uh, purchase a plastic bag. Uh, but I wanted to also just talk quickly about tolls, Keith. Uh, again, we heard uh, Governor Lamont, uh, he offered up two options for the legislature. This is what House Minority Leader Themis Claritas said um, in response to Lamont saying that we need tolls to pay for our statewide transportation system. The statement from him and from many other people in this building that there is no other way to fund transportation other than doing tolls is just a straight falsehood. So, Keith, I guess my question to you is, is uh, Representative Claritas right? Is there, are there other ways to pay for our, tr our state transportation system? If not tolls, then what, borrowing? Well, two qu clarifications. If you want to pay for the state transportation system that you have now and just maintain it, Nothing more. Um, 
you could do it without tolls if you look at the numbers, but even that, it would still take more resources. You're looking at higher gasoline taxes than we have now, and you still will struggle to get through the mix master. Um, I don't know what the what the low-budget option is for the day. The elevated highway on I-84 in Hartford can't stay elevated anymore. Um, you're not getting an extra lane on I-95. You're not getting extra train runs to New York. So the question is, if you're comfortable with the transportation system, if you think we can grow as a state, you still have to come up with more money, but you could go without tolls. If you want to do something else, um, I mean, you need about $800 million. What gives you that? Well, you could do a very big income tax increase on everyone. You could do tolls, at least, you know, they, the argument is you get some out-of-state folks. In fairness, though, to, to Representative Claritas, Governor Lamont said again and again and again on the, when he was candidate Ned Lamont on the campaign trail, I'm only going to toll trucks. And the truth is, that, I mean, the research was out there. He said, well, I saw the hard numbers now. I mean, it's the, the same thing, you know, Governor Malloy faced when he was saying, well, I'm not going to raise taxes. Let me be clear. That's the last thing we'll do. Um, both of the campaigns also were, you know, Governor Malloy's and, 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 Gov- and Governor Lamont's, they were up against Republican candidates who were also promising and, you know, promising the world that we could get rid of the income tax, which is pretty much almost a mathematical impossibility. Um, the media maybe has to do a better job during the campaigns really telling people, look, tolls are happening. Just look at the numbers. But not right away. $800 million expected revenue in a few years. How much will the state have to pay to get us there? That's a real challenge for Governor Lamont to get to tolls. You're not looking at the revenue till anywhere between 2023 and 2025. And in the meantime, Lucy, you already mentioned his debt diet. Um, He wants to reduce borrowing. Um, We had sort of made an arrangement. Think of the state as having two credit cards, one that borrows money to build schools and one that it uses to borrow money to build roads. And each one, you have to pay, make the debt payments on it. Well, we had actually made an arrangement so that the transportation program could use a little bit of the school credit card as well as its own credit card. Governor Lamont's debt diet takes that away. That's going to make a real challenge just to keep the roads maintained, the highways maintained, the bridges maintained, and not all patched up between now and 2023. It doesn't mean a bridge is going to collapse, but if Things start having to get shut down because, you know, you don't want a safety issue. People are going to be mad. I want to take one more call before the break. Suzanne and Coventry. Suzanne, go ahead. Hi. um, Thanks for taking my call. I'm both a tax professor and um, a state employee. And I just wanted to um, suggest um, two things. First, I think that the appetite for tolls would be more reasonable if people understood that Connecticut is the only state, as far as I understand it, on the I-95 corridor from from Canada to Florida that does not charge tolls. And um, I would, as one who commutes regularly in in Massachusetts um, and New York, I would easily support an easy pass on the major throughways, more so than a sales tax increase. Um, but th- my second point is regarding the pensions. There is stuff that we can do. Um, I've worked with a number of uh, large private companies that uh, transition longtime employees to a more 401k type pension plan instead of the traditional pension plan by offering them early retirement, buyouts, and then if they refuse, frankly, moving them over with um, with a fixed payout. 
Well, Suzanne. And that's something like we've done at GE, we did at Travelers, we've done at Aetna, and it's been very successful. I don't understand why the state just doesn't get on board with that and move everybody off of all current employees, off of the pension system. Suzanne, thank you for your call. I thought that, uh, Keith, that that has been happening. There's some hybrid plan now being offered as part of the concession package. Right. There have. And I I, thanks, Suzanne, for the question. I I promise I'll do this as fast as I can. I'll try to get to both your points. The second one first on the pensions. um, There has been also, because I think uh, Suzanne was talking about, could we do some form of a lump sum buyout? where we go to somebody who's a vested state employee and they're 55, and instead of saying, instead of the X amount of money you're going to get between now and the time you pass away, what if we just give you a smaller chunk up front? The problem is the state's position. When you're in bad shape to begin with, because you need a big pot of money to begin with to buy these people out, and we don't have a pot to blank in. So where are we going to come up with that money to do that. And we have a bonding cap that we promised Wall Street we wouldn't exceed. So we can't just say, well, let's borrow the money to have our little buyout pool. The other thing is the state employees and the teachers unions will promote fiercely against it. I don't think you're going to get the turnout rates that you hope for. It's not as easy as we, when you can do it in the private sector. But, and then as far as why don't we have tolls versus the other states, I think her point's really valid when you look at all the states that do have them. I think Connecticut's paying a price because between 2005 and 2013, we raised our fuel taxes through the roof, and we put almost, I shouldn't say almost all the money, we put a huge chunk of the money into the general fund, not into the transportation system. People remember in 2008 paying $4.35 a gallon for gasoline and not seeing the roads get better, and they don't trust the state because of what we did uh, over a decade ago. Uh, again, uh, we're talking with Keith Phantom, state budget reporter for the Connecticut Mirror. Uh, real quick, before we go to break, uh, Governor Lamont doesn't want to use the rainy day fund, but the General Assembly, uh, what's their take on using some of that to help cushion uh, these proposals? They have a very, they have a very different take, and um, not just uh, the Progressive Caucus. So I think you're going to see them talk to Governor Lamont about raising the income tax on the wealthy, about using um, the rainy day fund. And um, we may not be done on uh, June 5th or whatever day in early June the, the session's supposed to end. Let's not hope till it won't last till October. No. <laughs> I want a vacation this year. Well, you deserve one. Keith Fanef again, state budget reporter for the Connecticut Mirror. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Coming up, we're going to hear more from the leaders of two groups that represent Connecticut cities and towns. Now, what in Lamont's budget plan has them worried? What about you? Join us, 860-275-7266. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. One day after his first budget address, Governor Ned Lamont is already working to sell his plan to the community. Earlier this morning, Lamont spoke to local business professionals at a Metro Hartford breakfast in downtown Hartford. And later, he's going to meet with the media near the I-84 viaduct to talk about why, again, he thinks tolls are needed to make much-needed improvements to our state's transportation system. But the real people who have to win over are legislative leadership in the Connecticut General Assembly. 
closely, and those negotiations will take place over the next few months. Now, what's your response to Governor Lamont's budget proposal? You can join our conversation, 860-275-7266. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. In studio with me, Keith Faniff, state budget reporter for the Connecticut Mirror. And joining us now by phone are uh, representatives of two groups that represent uh, the towns and cities in Connecticut. First, Joe DeLong, executive director of the Connecticut Conference of Municipalities. Joe, welcome back to the show. Uh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Also, uh, Betsy Guerra, executive director of the Connecticut Council of Small Towns. Betsy, welcome back. Thanks. Happy to be here. So I'll start with Joe. Uh, we heard uh, Keith talk about uh, how Governor Malloy, um, love Governor Malloy, Governor Lamont, rather. Oh, I'm going to pay for that one. <laughs> uh, how his proposed debt diet is going to reduce uh, state bond authorizations by nearly $600 million a year. What is that going to mean for your member cities and towns? Well, you know, I, I think part of that proposal still remains to be seen how it will all play out. And a lot of it has to do with the conversations that we continue to have with the governor's office on how we streamline services and, and what those uh, those needs are. Um, you know, obviously, a lot of the money that's bonded for uh, at the state level is for school construction. And it's interesting within our membership, while everybody likes to have new schools uh, and school construction is an important issue for a lot of local communities. Our members also have an understanding that we're building schools a lot of times when we have schools that have empty classrooms just a few miles down the road. So I think, you know, those are important discussions to have to make sure that we're not just bonding uh, for our wants, uh, but are actually bonding for our true needs. And that's something that you know, I know our membership across the board has been every every town and city that I've had a conversation with about this have all been very willing to have that dialogue because I think a lot of them understand that, that there are limited resources in Connecticut. And, and just because it's nice to have a great big fancy new school building, if that school building isn't necessary, then we may want to take those revenues and use the revenues that we have in a way that can really promote uh, other issues that have to do with quality of life and economic development. Now, Joe, you've been on our show before talking about the need for the state to allow municipalities to have local revenue diversification, not to be so over-reliant on the property tax. Um, again, we're hearing from Governor Lamont that uh, he wants to be able to contribute more towards education cost-sharing grants, but that means uh, towns that are distressed or cities that need more support are going to get more money, and wealthy towns Towns, uh, not so much. That's going to impact your members. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly going to have an impact if we go that route. You know, our, our biggest concern and our continual push with the governor's office is to understand how, not, not towns and cities versus the state, but understand how services are paid for by the taxpayer at both the state and local level. And right now, because we have such an over-reliance on the property tax, when the state or the governor or others say, you know, towns and cities should have skin in the game with teachers' retirement or towns and cities should be paying for this, what, what really that message is, if we don't reform the way that we fund services, what that message really is is we need to push the state's problems into the property tax and rely on fixing them through a property tax increase, which is, you know, very detrimental to economic growth in Connecticut. It's not only detrimental to our community, it's detrimental to the state because it's going to keep us – in a non-competitive posture. So, you know, we, we believe and are okay with towns and cities sharing in this burden and with towns and cities being at the table and, you know, helping drive solutions because we are all in this together. But we also think that it can't be looked at as simple. Should it be a local funding or should it be a state funding? It needs to be looked at as what part of our tax code 
makes the most sense. And we think that pushing things into the property tax is actually the worst thing that you can do to get Connecticut back on the road to prosperity. Joe DeLong, again, executive director of the Connecticut Conference of Municipalities. Also with us, Betsy Guerra, who's the executive director of Connecticut Council of Small Towns. Uh, Betsy, what's your response to Governor Lamont's proposals and how it'll impact your membership? Well, the budget proposal, we recognize the difficulty in presenting a budget given the issues that I'm, I'm sure Keith has covered relative to the level of bonded indebtedness, the pension costs, et cetera. But we, we see the budget as a, a bit of a mixed bag. We're a little nervous that there continues to be a shift from uh, for funding smaller towns and redistributing some of that money to our poor districts. Well, we understand the need in our cities is great. We are concerned about what that the impact would be on our smaller communities and how that is going to impact property taxpayers. We are relieved that the bond debt diet does not include any cuts to county road and local capital improvement programs, local capital, local transportation capital improvement programs and so forth, because those are absolutely critical to maintaining the infrastructure that is needed to ensure that we can support our local economies and contribute to the state's overall economic competitiveness. We're a little nervous about the proposals that are looking at small school district consolidation and potential redistricting. It seems like there's an awful lot of focus on small school districts and whether or not they're efficient, and yet we're kind of ignoring the fact that some of our larger urban districts are not particularly efficient. And, you know, why aren't we looking at that? Why are we chasing the mouse around when this elephant is kind of thundering through the house? But um, so we, we need to take a look at those proposals. There are some there is some good news in, in the budget in terms of changes to the municipal employees retirement system. Uh, currently, towns that are participating in that system, the employee contribution rate has been fixed at a very low percentage from since the inception of the program. The budget does call for increasing that contribution rate by 2% over the next three years. And I think that will allow towns to better control teach, uh, local pension costs. And the teacher's pension cost shift, again, we're very nervous that this is opening the door for towns to end up shouldering a greater burden of the teacher pension cost. 25% you know, sounds fairly low, but unfortunately those numbers tend to creep up and the proposal also requires towns to pick up a greater percentage depending on whether or not their teacher salaries are above the median. So for some towns, they're seeing that that's going to end up really overwhelming their local property taxpayers. Uh, Keith Faniff, if you could uh, give us a little more context on uh, what Betsy was talking about in terms of uh, more contributions from municipalities towards teacher pensions, what exactly is Governor Lamont uh, asking? Well, uh, the teacher pension budget excuse me, the teacher pension contribution the state has to make is probably the single biggest flashpoint in the entire budget. Right now, in a $20 billion budget, we're paying about $1.3 billion into the, of it. $1.3 billion of it goes into the teacher's pension. Here's the real kicker, though. 85% of that $1.3 billion is not about saving for the pensions of today's teachers. 85% is covering the sins of our parents and grandparents, if they had done what they were supposed to do, we'd only be paying 15% of that amount. That's what we have to set aside every year. 
So the fear of the towns is any cost shift the state's doing. The Governor Lamont's proposal is you don't have to pay on the on the on the eighty five percent part. We're not asking you to cover, you know, the sins. We're asking you to pay a share anywhere from twenty five. It could for some communities it could be as high as fifty percent of what they call the normal cost, just that 15% that we're, we're saving. But here's the problem. I want to go back to something Joe said. The property tax is really dangerous. It's probably the single most regressive tax. It's what the Progressive Caucus is really worried about. We did a study in 2014 that looks at who really pays the taxes. It's called a tax incidence analysis. It doesn't just say, well, your landlord must have paid the taxes on the apartment building when we know that the landlord builds that property tax cost into the rents. And really, it's the renters who are paying that. If you make $48,000 or less in Connecticut, one quarter of all your money goes to just state and local taxes, not, not federal. You still have to pay your income taxes too. One quarter of your money goes to state and local taxes. If you make $600,000 a year, it's about 7%. So, I mean, the, the folks who are really at the bottom of the pay scale between state, local, and federal, they, they can be paying 50% of everything they have in taxes. And it's uh, even though people say, well, we have a progressive income tax that goes easy on low income, the property tax, which the state still sets up, the local towns collected, the property tax clobbers the poor far more than the state income tax takes it easy on them. Uh, Chris from Granby has a question related to teacher pensions. Uh, Chris, uh, Keith was just talking about this. So any other questions you have for clarification on what uh, Governor Lamont is asking? Sure. Um, I, uh, full disclosure, I'm an attorney who represents public school districts. Um, I understand what he's trying to do with the um, giving the local communities a skin in the game. But here's my concern. The, the penalty provision that's a part of that that says if you pay more than the average to your teachers, you're going to have to pay more towards the pension. The problem with that is that the way interest arbitration works, it's often not up to the local community what they pay their teachers. It's often what the arbitrators say they can afford to pay. So I, I'm concerned that they haven't really thought through the way the interest arbitration process would interact with this new pension, uh, with the teacher pension penalty provision in particular. Chris, thank you uh, for your call. Uh, so to make those changes, who'd be able to change yeah, that? That's good luck. That's a really good point, Chris. Um, the, the communities sort of have their hands tied behind their back. One, they, for years they've been asking for changes to the binding arbitration system that drives the salaries. The communities don't have as much control. They, have, they may have under this plan skin in the game, but they don't get to set the rules of the game. And the bigger problem is the whole reason the teacher pension costs are going through the roof is not even salaries is not even the single biggest factor driving it. It's the penalty payments that, again, are solely the fault of the state of Connecticut. So, I mean, I, I can understand the local frustration because to a certain extent they are saying, look, the state is shedding costs. We're asking our kids and grandkids to pick up some of the cost. We're asking towns to pick up some of the cost. We're asking consumers to pick up some of the costs. And, and Governor Lamont said, listen, it's nobody's fault in the sense of, look, he's not saying go home and go punch your grandfather because, you know, he didn't know when he was voting for legislators and governors <clears throat> 70 years ago. Please don't tweet. Keith said go punch your grandfather. <laughs> um, but at some point, we I think, you know, Governor Lamont's message is we have to deal with the problem. He's open to strategies to do it. But and, you know, everybody's saying, well, I don't want my income taxes going up. We have to pay the bill. 
the bill has to get paid in some fashion. And at some point, you have to stop saying, how did this happen? I get it. There's some indignation and it's going to be out there. But at some point, the conversation has to shift into What's the solution? Because in the meantime, the economy's not growing as fast as people feel it could be. Uh, this is where we live. Keith Maniff in studio with the uh, state budget reporter for the Connecticut Mirror. As we take a deeper dive into this budget proposal that Governor Lamont unveiled yesterday, Joe DeLong is with us from the executive director of the Connecticut Conference of Municipalities. Uh, Joe, uh, in terms of other changes that need to be made, again, a push for regionalization, uh, trying to get municipalities with fewer than 40,000 residents to consolidate with other school districts, something that uh, Senator Loon has uh, proposed. Um, what is your take um, as a representative of CCM? Well, you know, it's interesting. R- right now, um, we have about 100 municipal leaders gathered who are listening to uh, the, the governor's chief of staff, Ryan Drezowitz, uh, is presenting on the budget and answering their questions. And one of the things that uh, Chief of Staff Drezowitz just got done telling our membership when it came to education and regionalism was that, uh, using his words, that the governor was more interested in putting forth uh, a carrot as opposed to a stick. He didn't. The governor didn't feel that it was something that should necessarily be mandated, but should be something that we should incentivize um, looking at different areas and figuring out for their own individual needs what might make, might make the most sense. So we're certainly, or I you know, personally was certainly appreciative of the chief of staff's words and reassurances to our members um, that he wanted this to be a, a dialogue with them and the state be a partner in ways of making it work where we thought that it could work. And, and listen, there are plenty of communities across the state where towns and cities and municipal uh, general government officials get frustrated because the, the town has a finance officer, the Board of Ed has a finance officer. If there's a regionalized middle school and high school, they may have a different finance officer. So you get you get really small communities uh, with you know perhaps 5,000 residents or less who their budget may be supporting three finance director positions within that one budget or three maintenance director positions or two superintendents. So I think that, you know, Having it come down as a mandate from the state that says thou shalt change all of this is not the best way to do it because every community is unique and different. But having support from an executive that will step into those communities and say, how can we work together to streamline this and make sure that it makes more sense? I think it's an important conversation to have. And, and frankly, as a parent with two children in the public school system, I want my tax dollars whenever possible finding their way to the classroom not finding their way into different layers of bureaucracy. So I think it's an important discussion. I think it's a discussion the membership welcomes. Um, I think where they become fearful is when people who don't understand their communities at the state level just try to mandate something, you know, looking from the state capital down on a map of the whole state. That's not the best way to govern. But it is certainly an issue that we need to continue to have a dialogue about. Uh, with all due respect to what you said, Joe, I want to get uh, Betsy's take on regionalization, but as for as long as I've lived in Connecticut, there's been talk about uh, ways uh, to uh, encourage uh, sh- more shared services. Uh, without a mandate, will it happen, Betsy? actually been a lot of things happening relative to shared services, towns and boards of ed working together to share costs, towns and, and other regions uh, sharing certain functions. What we're trying to do is to make sure that the efforts to to regionalize also address some of the impediments. 
And I, I do believe that Governor Lamont and his staff are, are fully aware that we, we do need to focus on removing some of those impediments. The concerns that we have with Senator Looney's proposal is that it it is a, a top-down, one-size-fits-all forced consolidation of school districts. And that really doesn't make sense if you look at the the data that has been done on regionalization, what we need to do is to facilitate regionalization by addressing some of those barriers and making sure that we're not imposing a one-size-fits-all, that we allow communities to kind of figure out what works in their district. Nobody wants to see a student on a bus for an hour and a half each way to school. And unfortunately, some of the proposals in the rural districts, that, that's what exactly would be happening. So we, we need to avoid that. Um, we've been a longtime supporter of efforts to promote voluntary regionalization, and we're certainly looking forward to working with the governor and the administration to support those efforts. Uh, Betsy Guerra, again, is Executive Director of Connecticut Council of Small Towns. Also, Joe DeLong, Executive Director of the Connecticut Conference of Municipalities. Joe and Betsy, thank you for joining us today on Where We Live. Thank you. Glad to be here. Uh, Before we head to break, uh, Keith, did you want to respond to what both of them said regarding regionalization and the fact that shared services have been happening? I do think they're right in the sense that shared services have been going on. Um, Sometimes I think the municipal leaders have a tough time when the state's telling them they need to be more efficient. They feel that's the pot calling the kettle black. Um, I I, I particularly thought, though, Betsy raised an interesting point when she said, look, you know, you, you, we're going to have to start making choices. Do you want your students on, on a bus for an hour and a half? And not only that, if you do put them on the bus for an hour and a half, you may be surprised that the savings, when compared with, not not that it won't produce savings, but when compared with the pension debt, still won't be enough to deal with it. The conversation we've never had is, how big is this debt and how much will it really take to pay it off? I know I keep going back to that because what we're doing is we're making all these austerity choices to put off this discussion. I mean, by the way, this is a discussion we're having while, while Governor Lamont says this is what Connecticut looks like if you don't want to raise the income tax. Can you imagine the discussion if we were even trying to phase out the income tax? You don't like this one. Imagine. I mean, I don't think you'd ever get there phasing it out. But at some point, these are the choices. You might have to choose between a longer school bus ride or raising the income tax because you owe the, you owe the money. Keith Fanef, a state budget reporter for the Connecticut Mirror. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Coming up, we're going to hear from state employee unions about Governor Lamont's budget proposal. And what's your take? Join us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. In studio with me, Keith Faniff, state budget reporter for the Connecticut Mirror, as we talk about Governor Lamont's first budget proposal. Now, Governor Lamont made a point to stress during his address yesterday his appreciation for public employees and state labor unions. But he's not letting that stop him from asking them to make another concession. Before we hear from Sal Luciano, president of the Connecticut AFL-CIO, Keith, remind us what exactly does he want from the state labor unions this time around? Right. Uh, There's basically two things. One, we can't shift state pension costs onto a future generation of taxpayers without the union's permission because we bargain with them not only the value of the pensions, but how we're going to save for them. Secondly, he's also asking them 
to effectively reduce the pensions of future retirees by capping cost of living adjustments when our pension investments don't hit a certain level, which the way the system's set up, probably half the time they won't. We, we set an average of what will hit over 30 years. Half the years we go above the average, half we go below. Every time we go below, they want to cap how much pension cost of living adjustments can go. That he also can't do without labor's permission. And they did give concessions, I should point out, in 2009, 2011, and 2017. So this would be the fourth time around uh, coming to the labor unions to ask uh, for uh, this concession. So again, Sal Luciano is joining us by phone, president of the Connecticut AFL-CIO. Sal, welcome to our show. Thank you, Lucy. Thank you, Keith. Uh, So tell us uh, why the labor union thinks that this is a a bad idea and they're not going to want to negotiate it. Well, just... um as an overview, if you think wealth inequality is a problem uh, in the state, and uh, most economists agree, the proposed budget only makes that worse. Um, money, not only is the wealthy not asked to pay anything, they actually receive from this budget the elimination of the gift tax and the reduction of the estate tax. And so um, if it's going to be shared sacrifice, it's, it needs to be shared sacrifice, not just another way to funnel money to the people who already uh, have plenty of it. Um, the state employees have made concessions in 09, 11, and 17, as, as Keith pointed out, saving $2 billion every year and into the future. Um, and, and in addition to that, any uh, additional uh, taxes raised or, or uh, fees uh, placed on people will also be paid by the state employees. So they have a real sense of, of concession fatigue. Um, if you make between fifty and seventy thousand dollars, you pay about twenty four percent of of your income in taxes, whether it's property taxes, sales tax, state tax and and federal taxes. If you make a million dollars, you're paying about six percent, and if you have multi-million dollars, you're paying under five percent. Uh, so the, the middle class is already um, asked to bear a high burden. I, I think his speech was well written, well prepared, well presented. I think Governor Lamont is a good listener. He's sincere in his desires, and most of what he said I agree with. Uh, But um, state employees are are a little bit uh, fatigued in terms of being looked at uh, over and over for uh, additional money. Uh, So uh, we know that this uh, proposal is just uh, uh, day one of the hard work that's going to have to take place over the next few months. Um, Sal, if labor unions see uh, efforts to ask more of the wealthy, again, this is just a proposal of Governor Lamont, the legislative leadership now has to get together to figure out how they're going to balance a budget. If uh, there are proposals to maybe get more from this uh, top one percent, would the labor be able uh, to would they be able to stomach that a little bit better? So we're we're in discussions with them regarding health care and ways to lower um, the cost of health care. Uh, in the course of the um, concessions, we reduced the OPEB. At one point, the uh, other post-employment benefits were um, one and a half times what the pension liability was, and, and we reduced that um, significantly. So we, we will continue to work with them, um, and we think there's lots of money to be saved. But if you look at uh, our the unionized people who, who leave state service under Tier 2, their average is about eighteen thousand dollars a year. That that's you know, and in some cases it's without social security. So we we think that that that's really not the way to go. Twenty six percent of people um, of elderly people um, 
who are um, 65 or older are living at or below the poverty line. We, we don't want to add to that. I want to get uh, Keith Faneff uh, back into the conversation again, state budget reporter for the Connecticut Mirror. Uh, we heard, uh, under, again, the, la- the later years of Governor Malloy's administration, um, he, doesn't, he didn't want to raise uh, the, right. the income tax uh, on the wealthy. Again, I believe it's the 1% um, in the state, uh, make up w- one-third or more of the state's total income taxes. Uh, so we're seeing Governor Lamont also hoping to hold the line not to alienate these wealthy that we do rely on? Well, there has been a real political shift. If you remember, there were the big tax hikes in 2011 and 2015. We don't have to debate who had the largest in state history. Everyone agrees they're big. Um, Ever since then, I think the Democratic Party in Connecticut has really felt those tax hikes have made them vulnerable. So there has been a shift to go as austere as possible or to just steer clear of the income tax. The problem that I keep going back to is sooner or later, that's the only way that makes the math work. We have pension obligations that are growing faster than our economy ever boomed. So we either slow the growth of those obligations or eventually they'll demand another income tax hike. Right now, people are are looking at other taxes. And as you point out, Lucy, the places they look are more regressive. They hit the middle class more. And we already hit the middle class a lot. I want to thank uh, Sal Luciano for joining us just for a few minutes, president of the Connecticut AFL-CIO. Sal, we hope to have you back in the next uh, couple of months. Thank you. Um, uh, Michael from Ashford, we've got under a minute. Tell us what is your question or comment before we end the show. Sure, I'll be quick. I I know that the state isn't insolvent yet, but I just think a lot of this activity is just rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. And if the if they could get the stakeholders, you know, the Wall Street, the unions, the politicians, uh, maybe the the recipients, school children, uh, in a in a conference and say everybody's got to take a haircut here. Everybody <laughs> is is going to get less than the whole loaf. Uh, well, thank you, Michael. I think that's uh, that's what the next few uh, weeks and months uh, hopefully uh, will address, again, trying to get everybody in a room to compromise. Uh, Keith Faneff, again, state budget reporter for the Connecticut Mirror. There's a lot that we didn't get time to talk about, but we hope to have you back soon. Love to. Uh, today's show produced by Scott Breedy. A special thanks to WMPR intern Seth Blair for handling our phone calls. Our technical producer is Kyone Wolf. Learn more about the show, wmpr.org slash where we live. I'm Lucy Nopithanchel. Thanks for listening. <laughs>